When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is it stupid to be bearish stocks? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jim Carson, founder of Kai Volatility. Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Always fun. Uh, so I need to credit, before we even start, that opening question to Brent Donnelly, who used it as the title of his daily piece today. For those of you who get uh, Brent's work at Spectra, you'll recognize it. But it was such a good question. I thought to myself, I'm stealing it because it's kind of what everyone's asking, right, Jim? I mean, we, we have a, a situation today where U.S. equities close the day up again in rally mode. Uh, we have um, the Dow. Uh... Oh, wait. We turned around. <laughs> yeah, okay. it kind of turned midday, so it was kind of a big. Yeah, I like to check in real time. Okay, so it was in rally mode, and we'll talk about why that happened. But it was in rally mode, and we have been had this sort of relentless, um, you know, push higher, even though a lot of people have felt weird about it. So even better now that we've turned, is this just a momentary thing, or are people trying to sort of say, wait a minute, this thing's gone too far. What, what do you make of the turnaround today that we saw? So, so you know, when you have me on, it's a little different, right? I'm not going to give right. a point to a macro reason as much as uh, a flow-based rea reality, right? Uh, the, the market is a voting machine in the short term. And uh, the reality is that this market has run up based on structural flows uh, up into OPEX and has really, much like it did last month and much like it did the month before, swooned, right, for a very short period, um, before taking off again, uh, you know, into the end of month and then the, the first two weeks of the following month. Um, that's been the trend. Uh, you know, these, this is a flow-centric push that we've been seeing for quite some time. You know, we've called for this kind of blow-off top dynamic that happens a lot of time into uh, what's otherwise kind of a structurally bearish um, environment. Um, this is, you know, markets, uh, you know, purposely have to squeeze shorts before there can be, you know, uh, reflexively before... Uh, they can they can decline. Um, so so this has been a this has been a very very strong move. It has changed the narrative as price always does. Um, it has changed positioning and uh, most importantly, which I think we'll get into later in the show, vol has been incredibly well supplied, which has allowed entities to take risk and uh, natural structural flows to kind of flow back in the market in those periods of of, of structural strength. Um, but here we are, uh, weak. Uh, week period after the Fed came in, once again being uh, a little more hawkish. They've been trying to do that for a while. Market hasn't been listening, but this time uh, up against a much different positioning, uh, you know, uh, backdrop. Yeah. Um, so I think what we're seeing here is uh, again a, a very important 
kind of level here, 45.65 in, in the in the S&P futures, makes sense to kind of test these levels and see how things go the next 24 hours. Okay, so that's super interesting. And that's why you would have seen as you got up to that point today, because it was pretty strong, you know, when we were looking, uh, which is why we're all in the situation, it's summer, right? And heaven forbid you go turn your head and do something else. Um, and, and it can turn very quickly. So it sounds like what you're saying, and we will dig into some of the meat behind that, because you you do pay attention to things that aren't always on our right radar, which is why we love catching up with you. It sounds like if you've been hearing people say valuations are stretched, all this kind of stuff, it sounds like you're saying it really hasn't been a fundamentally based move this last stretch of the rally anyway, right? Is that what you're saying? Fundamentals, uh, there are lots of... Uh you know, uh, studies on this. Fundamentals do not are not predictive statistically for market performance in any period less than 10 years. Um, it matters over 10 years rolling periods, right? I know that throws a big, you know, bomb into a, a you know, narrative of what everybody else in the world thinks is important. Uh, they are statistically irrelevant uh, to market performance in any period longer than 10 years. They do matter over 10 years. They do matter eventually, but the way they matter, I've given the plain analogy, right? Is that they matter when the liquidity, when the jets stop firing um, on the plane, right? It's the elevation uh, and it's a risk management tool. And eventually during periods of illiquidity, think about uh, 1998, 99, we knew there was a tech bubble. Uh, NASDAQ doubled in the last nine months before it dropped 92%. You know, we're, 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 you know, were fundamentals important when it doubled, when, it, when the NASDAQ doubled 100%? No, but when the liquidity came out of the market, things got back to rationality. And we know that now, but we watch everything day to day and week to week and month to month and, um, you know, try and assign a fundamental value to it. But, uh, you know, NVIDIA rallying 200% in, in a matter of months, uh, is that uh, fundamentals? Uh, yeah, there's a narrative behind why it's fundamentals, but uh, but no, it's a it's a flow centric reality in the short, meaning month, quarter, annual, even multi year. But over the long run, the macro realities will catch up. Um, generally, when the liquidity is no longer there, and all that matters is the put on businesses. Wow, that that's so interesting. And this is one of these moments where you have to take a step back because you know a lot of people follow that narrative story, right? AI. It was gaming before it's AI, and now we're fit, you know, Meta's up. Meta did hold up today. I just checked that. Um, uh, it's still up four percent. Their revenue is up eleven percent. And you turn on the TV today, and you're hearing advertising, social media advertising is really strong. And you know, you always hear the fundamentals. So explain to us what's happening from a position point of view, and maybe importantly, is that changing? So what's been what's been going on that this flow-centric reality that took us to that, this point? And do you sense that maybe maybe we're entering another phase now? Yeah, so positioning was dramatically underweight um, early this year. Um, uh, you know, particularly in the NASDAQ, uh, put-to-call ratios were dramatically heavy to put. Uh, people were speculating. Uh, hard to imagine that, right? Because this, this is only back in February. Speculation was massively on the put side. We had seen a dramatic liquidation across the tech space. Uh, Commodity-centric and uh, value names have really held up. And guess what? When everybody gets on one side of the boat, what happens? Uh, uh, you you got a, a bunch of uh, speculation and call buying, which uh, was you know calls were cheap relative uh, in in the AI complex. You had massive vol supply, which you continue to have, and we'll get back to that in the S and P 500 itself, pinning the market, allowing it uh, to, for for the broad market decline to slow. Once that took hold. 
the reversal. Uh, and by the way, the NVIDIA story that nobody talks about is, is back in you know, last year, NVIDIA was actually uh, a, a big bearish thesis for a lot of people because of what was going on in Taiwan and China and the fears related to that. That, that narrative was all encompassing at the time and put speculation was dramatic in the stock and the calls were in the price. So what happened? It caught the complex really on the wrong side and the squeezes started, but guess what? Now it's the, the, the complete opposite, right? Now there's massive call speculation in the tech uh, names, AI, everybody is now on the other side of the boat. Um, and, and, uh, and we called uh, actually uh, at the beginning of this month that, that that had gotten too far now. We had called in February that we, we should see a tech dramatic outperformance. And now guess what? Going into expiration, right? When the vol compresses and these calls decay for, for dealers, you get massive uh, stock selling from dealers and that's what we got in the, in the two weeks heading into expiration. Again, this is how these flows work. And now you're starting to see the rotation of the way. But the narrative for everybody is, oh, the bank stocks are, uh, are, are, are you know, uh, uh, they, they got oversold and they need to be bought up now. The narrative is that oil is stronger now and, and they, the commodity names should be doing better. And, 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 you know, the NASDAQ has gone too far. But the reality is the positioning just got too far the other way. And there's structural dynamics when that happens, particularly in the vol space that feed back into reflexively forcing back a rotation. Um, so that's kind of a, a, there's a lot more to it than that, but the, the yeah. thing that hasn't, so those are things that have changed. This is the world rotating around the center of the S&P in the market. Um, you know, and we've had seen dramatic historic moves in rotation and lack of breadth with, you know, there's a lot of people have talked about that. The seven names leading the whole rally for, for the longest period, the massive value growth, you know, rotation uh, a year and a half, two years ago, back to this, you know, last six months, the other reversal, small cap versus large cap. All of that is rotating historically. We're seeing historic dispersion, uh, you know, between the index and the, the constituents. Um, that continues to be the case and, and will continue to be the case as long as the S&P vol, the vol at the center of the market breadth, um, at the center of the market, it continues to be well supplied. And that is the one thing that has not changed for two years now. That eventually will run its course as well, but we are not there yet. And that is really a function of bigger structural flows. The There's structured product issuance to dealers, massive selling of all that structural that's been coming on the market. Uh, again, that's a function of higher interest rates, better uh, yields to these structured products uh, that are getting stacked above T-bill rates uh, with higher vol, right? Uh, and, and look much more appealing now in a market that, uh, you know, where, where people aren't sure how markets are going to perform going forward. And that's caused a wave and massive increase in structural product issuance, which is selling vol to banks selling vol to, to, which are selling vol to market makers, which are compressing the S&P 500 and causing a pinning of the S&P 500 relative to everything else and massive rotations um, around that. So this is just a glimpse, right? But these wow. are the things yeah, that a, matter a yeah, under the hood and what's actually driving. That you really have a, a, a have sight into. When you're talking about structured product for people who may not be familiar, you're talking about what, like asset-backed securities, um, that type of thing, mortgage-backed securities, yeah, I mean, in particular in the S and P 500, right? Uh, there are there are tons of structured products that that will allow um, you know you to sell vol, whether it's uh, you know this J P Morgan structured trade, which is not a you know a, a structured note per se, but things like that where you're they're essentially selling vol to pay for locking in uh, some type of downside protection or some type of upside limit 
Um, they can sell puts and calls, right, sometimes. Okay, so these are structured sort of in the options world around equities as opposed to the sort of bond products. There are all I just kinds, mentioned. right? Uh, but but the, the ones that I'm most specifically talking about are the, are the ones tied to the S&P 500 because we're talking about equity markets specifically. Right. And that, so that has the function of dampening down volatility in the S&P 500? Correct. I mean, as a basic example, imagine, uh, you know, you can sell a strangle something 20% out of the money on the downside, 20% out of the money on the upside and yield, uh, you know, at 1x notional to your, your assets and yield maybe, you know, three, uh, three and a half percent in doing that. You know, there's other ways to do it. There are iron condors or other structures, right? We can get into all of them, but they're the most basic sense that gets stacked upon a risk-free real of a five and a half percent now. Um, you know, that's a 9% yield. If you can get a 9% yield and then only start losing, uh, you know, 1% every 1% below 20% down the market or 20% up in the market, that's a very appealing, um, you know, uh, alternative for people who are less interested right now um, in, in having that equity beta exposure, uh, particularly having uh, markets having run as they have and the risk that we're seeing with higher interest rates and worse liquidity and all the fears that we have uh, with geopolitical concerns. So, you know, a, two years ago, you would have yielded 0% on, on the or close to 1% on the T-bill um, and, and maybe uh, this yields 4%. That's not very appealing, right? Uh, particularly after, uh, you know, a 15-year, 14-year run of 15% returns on average, uh, why would you be out of the market? Um, and so the, the risk reward of these products, ironically, as interest rates go up, uh, are causing vol supply at the center of the complex, which is the S&P 500. And that vol supply um, you know, is, a, is a consistent force uh, in, in the current window and, and forcing this, this cycle to go longer than you might expect. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And when you say uh, cycle, whole, you mean the run-up of tech stocks or the rally of stocks in general? The, uh, the stability of markets in general, which uh, by definition, if markets are stable, there's a natural uh, positive bias to markets, which I can get into the structural causes of that. There's these bonnet charm flows I talk about. There's the natural just uh, cost of, of money, you know, the discount rate that forces uh, you know, arbitrage for, for markets to climb naturally. There's the earnings that come in from companies. There's inflationary focus. All of these drive some positive flow, right, um, to markets. Never mind uh, vol targeting strategies and all the other uh, quantitative strategies that that force these flows. But a market that is pinned. Uh, Think of 2017 as the proxy where implied vol is massively pinned, naturally has an upside bias because of the positive buyback of stock and everything that happens underneath the hood. Um, that is uh, is very much uh, kind of where we are, are, are and have been in this market. But now at the bottom, it was paired with very, very high short interest in the market, uh, you know, wrong-footed relative uh, balance uh, in the market uh, of supply and demand. Uh, that is not where we are now. Uh, in terms of the supply and demand and Delta One kind of exposure, um, vol markets are also uh, broadly, in terms of Delta One positioning, much more unbalanced than they were at the bottom. Right, they are more, more I guess I should say, more balanced. They are, uh, if anything, um, more aggressively long. Um, you know, uh, sentiment positioning have all dramatically changed, uh, really, in the last three months, in particular. Um, and so, all of that now um, it has is paving the way for potential more risk to the downside. But uh, that vol compression is still in place, and that's the part that is going to make it continue to make it hard for this market to to decline for some period, and uh, and will likely, and, and as we've argued for some time, will likely continue to to lead to a squeeze higher for for a bit. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the structural macro effects, which we've talked about, which matter over the long run, um, are, uh, you know, withdrawing liquidity from the market. Uh, Delta one balance, the Delta one uh, exposure is now much more balanced, if, if not uh, a, a little bit longer than it should be relative to macro. And, uh, and so the windows are in windows of weakness, these short periods, right, where, where there's not as much structural positive flows coming from the small compression, we're going to see weakness like we have seen uh, the last week or so. And this is exactly what we saw in June and May. And so these are periods to take advantage of, to look for potential greater weakness. Tomorrow is important 24-hour uh, period where, um, you know, on a Friday uh, with low liquidity in, in the weekend uh, where there isn't strength yet if we if we if a breakdown is going to happen, which I don't think is uh, is highly likely here, but but uh, you know it should really be here in the next 24 hours. Um, if it can't happen here, you have to keep buying back into this because the vol compression is simply just going to force uh, continued end of month, beginning of month strength, and then into the next expiration cycle here. Mm. So I, I want to ask about that sort of the conditions that are going to change because it sounds like some of the dominoes are falling off, but you still got that core. Um, suppressing volatility, which is going to create upward pressure. A couple of different people pointing out or suggesting that the sell-off today was on the news that the BOJ um, is going to tweak its yield curve control. I would say we've we've heard that before. Um, yeah. We have a BOJ meeting tomorrow. So how do you, when you're looking at these sort of market functions and operations and the signals you're looking at from the markets you track, how do you marry that to that sort of fundamental catalyst rumor that may or may not have been the trigger. It sounds like the market was ripe for anything to turn it. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, earnings, uh, have been, uh, you know, negative and you've had a positive move in the market where, uh, unemployment numbers have come out hot and market rallies that CPI is, uh, you know, seemingly bearish in the market rallies. Uh, you know, people point to the fundamentals when they go in the same direction. Uh, the, the reality is they matter, but really matter in the context of flow. So when flows open windows where there's structurally uh, potential weakness, when the probabilities, when that tinderbox is is packed with potential, uh, you know, dynamite, that's when things can actually uh, these these narratives can take hold and reflexively as the market declines become a more important thing. You know, the bank run was a problem uh, in a window where there was weakness, right? And then. There's strength, and all of a sudden, oh, there's no bank run anymore. It doesn't really matter, uh, right? Uh, you can argue it was the Fed coming to the rescue, et cetera. But the reality is, um, you know, these markets are reflexive, um, and and the more uh, potential risk there is, uh, you know, yes, a spark uh, like the, the you know the Bank of Japan doing something uh, along those lines can, in the right environment, cause a, a major kind of sell off um but uh, the 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 fundamental uh, fragility that has been put in place by by a lack of flows or a change in positioning is really the the core uh, necessity for for a decline to actually take place or yeah i think it's really important right it might be one part of the story but it's not the whole story and if you really want to understand what's going on you need to sort of look at it through that lens i want to get a question in from boris because i think it's related to this before we unpack a little bit more of what you said um, and he says, I'm curious about your opinion. Do you agree that low volatility is generally followed by low volatility with regards to the VIX? And therefore, the fear of a volatility shock that some people are talking about is probably wrong. Yeah. So this is a very important fact that people don't understand. Most people who look at volatility and they think it's mean reverting, right? Um, uh, and, and on a broader sense, it is. But um, if you look at uh, the majority 
of uh, vol of uh, the VIX or the implied vol at the money uh, a, a phenomenon. You know, they're between eight nine percent uh, and and uh, twenty. You know, twenty five percent within that range, which is the normal range of, uh, of of implied volatility. What we actually see is the opposite: that the lower vol, you know, buying vol when it's low and selling it when it's high is actually not what works. The lower vol gets um, in the in this range historically. The more, on a, even a risk-adjusted basis, not just in absolute terms, on a risk-adjusted basis historically, the more profitable about selling vol is, and the higher it goes into that range, the 20 to 25 range, the more positive, you know, positive outcomes that you see for implied volatility. That's counterintuitive. Why would you want to buy high and sell low? Why? Because reflexively, when vol is well supplied, when it is low and everybody has it, it actually itself pins the market, it actually reflexively causes less realized volatility outcomes. And when it's unpinned, when vol is at a higher level, markets are able to move more. And generally, there are more reasons right, to be concerned because that vol is higher for other reasons. And those tend to historically lead to more positive outcomes for, for vol, even relative to that price. So very counterintuitive, but this is reflexivity at, at work. This is what I'm trying to express to people. When the vol is very well supplied, Dealers are long vol. When the market goes down, they have to buy massive amounts of stock. When the market goes up, they have to sell massive amounts of stock. Markets are stable. They're well, uh, you know, they're 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 well pinned, and and for the most part, it becomes a losing uh, uh, reality of owning implied vol because realized vol is pinned, which leads to more selling of vol, which leads to more pinning, which leads to more selling of vol. It's a hot potato until everybody is selling vol. Uh, you know, harken back to 2017, you get historic pinning of vol. It's all relative, right? Where it doesn't mean we're always going to go back down to this 9% vol that we saw in 2017, but it becomes more and more compressed until somewhere in the market there becomes a concentrated short, whether it's long term capital management, whether it's XIV, whether, you know, a, a concentrated short which gets at risk. And then something happens and it's enough concentration in some area, there's too much risk taken in one area and you get an XIV blowout or you get a long-term capital management implosion. Macro will be the spark, as I mentioned, but the, 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 the groundwork has been set, that tinderbox has been packed right under those environments, but it takes time. And the original uh, portion of that, and it can take quite, quite a number of months, if not a year and, or two for these things to kind of play out and this is part of why markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, why the fundamentals really don't matter nearly as much as the, the flows and the, and the realities of positioning. Um, but this is how the market works in the real world. And this is what the voting machine looks like. The weighing machine comes um, after many years. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So where are we in that process right now, do you think? So it sounds like short term, in the in the very short term, even though we saw this down leg today, maybe we'll see more weakness tomorrow. There's a setup where that's possible. It sounds like there's not all the conditions are in place for a major turn. So how do you see this playing out if we extend the lens a little bit? Um the way I would, uh, it's always a function of both, right? Let's go back to COVID, right? We knew about uh, the, the COVID phenomenon late December, early January. Uh, markets went up for almost uh, two months, a month and a half till mid-February. Vol got uh, compressed and then eventually started going up at the end. And then we got a 30% decline in a month. 
right in a window where there was weakness, where the people were not as well hedged, that going into that March OPEX, you know, this has been started the day after February OPEX, end of the day after March OPEX, uh, and that decline, not a coincidence, right? This is positioning at work and, and how fundamentals still matter, right? But ultimately in the context of positioning. Um, this, uh, you know, where are we right now? We are amidst a squeezing of the shorts. Uh, we are amidst a blow off top, a topping process. A liquidity is very weak um, after it's been actually relatively stable and strong on the back of both TGA drawing down, which many people have talked about, as well as um, uh, on the back of um, all the liquidity that was provided to banks into the you know the bank run in, in March. Um, all of that supported liquidity, but now that's going the other way, right? And we know that, and, and the Fed continues to now has, has raised rates again to two Fed meetings. Um, it's, you know, it was hawkish, in my opinion, again here in the last meeting, relatively speaking, um, uh, yesterday. And all of these things are ultimately, they do matter, and, and they will eventually uh, cause a liquidation. But where are we? We're in the process of squeezing shorts. We're in the process of creating more potential energy. We're in the process of, as the market goes up, unpinning vol. Uh, you know, and, and we haven't the last piece, the the, the dike, you know, the, the the Dutch boy with his thumb in the dike, with all the potential energy kind of increasing behind it, right, in the form of, uh, of of positioning getting worse, liquidity coming out, all of the macro things that we've talked about. Uh, you know, that that Dutch boy is 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 S and P 500 vol. It's the offering and a supply of vol, and and what hasn't happened yet is the unpinning of that vol. And so, again, it tends to take longer than you expect. Uh, we're, we're heading down that path, uh, we're checking a lot of boxes, the probabilities, you know, that tinderbox is getting more and more packed, but it's a series of probabilities, right? And what you can't do is say, this is when, you know, the tinderbox is packed enough and this is when it matters. It, it matters more. The odds are getting worse. Uh, we're starting to see the things that we've been looking for. Um, have we hit it yet? I would say probably not yet, but we're getting very close. Um, and I would say uh, yeah, I would be very cautious here in the fall. Um, you know, uh, especially not just in general, right? I want to be very specific, specific actively in the windows where the flows are not great, which we have been very vocal about, which we're at the very tail end of it right here for the next 24, 36 hours. There's a potential for risk here, very short window at the end of a, another window where things have been kind of weak. But if we can't get it, which again, uh, it, it's going to take a pretty big move tomorrow to do it. We'd have to break below the 20 day, as I mentioned in the S&P 500, um, uh, you know, tomorrow on a Friday um, and if we can't do that, if we don't get a big enough news and liquidation here, it's going to be right back to the structural flows uh, for the next, uh, you know, call it three weeks, if we yeah. can't get it going uh, very, very soon. So where are we likely to see what, what's the what's the worst, pain, the biggest pain trade? Is it those tech names? Is that is that where we see the crack first or is That's that where the it was? Pain? That's not where, where it was. is. Right. And the key here is that the S&P 500 is pinned. If that's the complex, that's really things are flying around. And, you know, we had a massive, uh, you know, early, call it 2021, uh, before the market decline, right? The NASDAQ started selling off, tech started getting ugly relative to value, but the market didn't decline until later, right? Then the NASDAQ kind of declined in line. That's because positioning was, was not uh, prepared for that type of a, a move. Um, then everybody got bearish, right? Everybody moved to the other side of the boat. Long put, short call, as I mentioned, very bearish on tech relative to the value, the narrative of inflation, everything may be correct. But what happened is people got too heavy on the uh, one side of the boat. And what do we see in line with a counter trend move and a squeezing of shorts, a massive squeezing of the shorts there and a speculative, uh, you know, quick move uh, uh, to all call speculation and AI and all these other names, right? Uh, meanwhile, the S&P continues to be relatively uh, muted relative. And, uh, and so we're seeing now 
everybody on the other side of the boat. And now we're seeing, as I mentioned last, just the last two, three weeks, a, a underperformance of tech. We believe that will continue here for a period and is likely actually before the vol, uh, the market, the whole market starts to decline, um, you know, uh, likely to see uh, you know, significant weakness relative to the rest of the market, given how much speculation has squeezed into calls um, on, on those AI and, and broad tech names. Mm. So when we see this, it's, I'm guessing that the longer it goes, the worse the turn is, or the more, the, the more serious the, the move in the other direction. Does it sound like the entire stock market is vulnerable? Because we've had this one theory that's out there that we're kind of in a, in a rolling recession. And so you get sectors that go down, but then come back. And then the next, you know, this rotation that the next one will pick up the baton and everything will be okay. It sounds like you're describing a situation where there's a blow off top. There's something that breaks that is usually the final piece of the puzzle. It sounds much uglier than this sort of soft landing yeah, so, recession. So what we've been trying to communicate from a macro perspective. So there's the, the machine, there's the day-to-day, the week-to-week, the month-to-month, even quarter-to-quarter, which is flows, right? But the bigger picture we're talking multi-year is not about recession, which is what everybody's talking about, right? The last 40 years is if you got whether or not we're getting a recession or not, you got the cyclical game right, you time markets well, right? The reality of what's happening now is we haven't had inflation for 40 years. Um, in, during inflationary periods, you get structural decades, right? Or decade plus um, of, of weakness to equity markets. Uh, I can get into why we, you know, I think we've talked about it on this show before. We have, but, you've been saying yeah. this for a while. You've been talking yeah. about inflation, the, the risk of inflation yeah. for months with us now. Yeah. And so this is a, 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 you know, now to talk macro a little bit, we are still amidst a very sticky demand picture. Uh, you know, that's what we've been very clear about. But this, you know, the recession everybody's talking about is not what matters. What matters is that the, the market's actually, the economy is actually stronger than people expect because it's a demand push economy. It's been resilient to five and a quarter, five and a half percent of, of, um, of hikes, right? Uh, you know, inflation therefore is also stickier. Um, and, and not just that, core inflation has been very sticky, almost it's 4.8% still, it's been sticky near five for a year and a half, two years. The, but the reality is now, all those things that were helping on the other side, first of all, year over year changes, right, uh, are making things, are going to make things look worse. But but oil just, you know, is at $80 again, right? It's pushing higher numbers. Uh, you know, the, the Russia just, uh, you know, cut off Ukrainian food supplies, right? Uh, food, food shipments. You're likely to get going forward, not the benefits, right, of, of uh, you know, outside of core that we've been getting, uh, especially year over year. So, you know, inflation has been structurally sticky, despite what you hear in terms of, oh, CPI was great or whatever, you know, we're still running a core inflation of 4.8%. Uh, and that's, that's, to be clear, that's year over year increases. We're increasing prices at a core level 5% a year, uh, you know, compounding. That is a massive amount of inflation relative here in the United States, something that we haven't seen. And it continues to be stickier than people realize. Um, that is going to we believe, and uh, again, we're back up to this 4% level. And that's what another reason, you know, uh, the markets are kind of looking around saying, okay, wait a second, maybe maybe this isn't, maybe recession isn't the problem. Maybe the fact that we don't have a recession is the problem. Uh, and we think that that 10 year and, and, you know, five year and all these other, you know, longer dated kind of, uh, you know, yields are, are going to break above these, these most recent highs. And that itself will be a critical thing in the sense that 
that's when the Fed starts to lose control because once the belief is that inflation is truly sticky and not going away, uh, that's when inflation itself structurally begins to get worse. And we've seen this in the 70s. We've seen it up here. It's well documented. That's the biggest risk here um, in our belief. It is actually, ironically, not a recession that we should be worried about. It's the counter uh, the counterpiece, the fact that, that the economy is way stickier than people expect, that labor power is way stronger than people expect. And that's not because of cyclical reasons. It's because of structural reasons. It's deglobalization. It's populism. It's all the other things that we've talked about that are driving uh, labor strength and uh, and deglobalization. And also a, a slowdown, ironically, of technological innovation because there's less capital going to growth and less um, less things um, that, that are deflationary that we've been seeing for four years. So it sounds like we have a couple, we're almost out of time, but I'm going to steal another minute because we're about a minute late coming. Um, and a couple people, a couple different people asking, of course, um, can you give us your thoughts of when this blow off will happen? Um, do you have a, a date or price prediction regarding the blow off top or are you looking for risk factors? I, I heard you say before that it seems to me that you, it's impossible to predict the, the date or time. You just need to see the conditions come together. But it sounds like you start to get very concerned around the fall time period. Is yeah, that fair? I, I want to be clear. You know, we actually called the 2021, uh, uh, sorry, uh, you know, the the, the top uh, in the market uh, in February 2022, January 2022, almost to the day. You know, we were six months out. How do we do that? Like, how are we able to kind of uh, to, to put those dates out? We put dates out there, very specific kind of windows where things are aligning and the probabilities are higher. It doesn't mean it's going to happen that day. Sometimes it does because your probabilities are higher. If you're a good baseball hitter, you know, you hit the ball 400, you know, 40% of the time. That's a great batting average, right? That doesn't mean you sit out there and you hit home runs every time you get up to the bat. But, but we're, you know, we have a great understanding of these fundamental realities and the odds are increasing. And so we are handing out certain days, right, as we go here, because the probabilities are getting higher uh, of when you want to be very cautious and looking for to, to swing at that fat pitch. And those fat pitches are coming here on certain windows. So for me to sit here and just say, it's going to be, you know, call my shot and say it's that day. Yeah, we'll we'll name dates, but but, but understand that that doesn't, that, that, that's not a certainty of that. That's the, you know, the realities of the probabilities are increasing dramatically. That tinderbox is being packed. There are some factors which are making it stickier and, and we believe uh, decreasing broadly the odds of it happening as soon as other factors might, uh, might insinuate. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of factors are really starting to say the, the, the odds are, are increasing um, of those realities. There are great ways to bet on this that are less that are that are a little more complicated than just being long the market or short the market. And these are things that we've suggested in these windows. Uh, in '99, one of the best things to do, you know, shorting Nasdaq, you know, in '99 would have been a you know a disaster, even though it eventually dropped 92 percent. Um, the key was buying calls out of the money, longer dated, three six months out, and shorting stock against it, delta neutral. Um, layering shorts and in important windows against it, being long gamma, particularly cheap gamma to the upside. This is something we've recommended, uh, you know, uh, across the board for the last several months. That's worked very well. It's historically, in these in these final uh, months, uh, uh, in a topping process, vol will go higher into rallies, um, and and at least on a relative value basis, that becomes a very profitable 
trade and to the upside. And, and, and if you can make money on vol to the upside, right, uh, pretty, pretty obvious that's something that you want to have into what could be a potential major decline afterwards. So our, our greatest recommendation is to really be out there uh, being, being long, long-dated calls, maybe funding them with, with other things that are uh, more expensive in the, in the distribution um, if, if necessary in Windows. But really when those windows come where there's a risk, which we mentioned, being actively short against them and, and, and allowing yourself to take uh, timing and active management kind of um, uh, uh, shots against the market, which is, again, a very tough thing to do. But, you know, we've done it successfully. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years. So yeah. uh, in different ways, there's, uh, you know, this is never easy. I will say that much. If shorting the market was easy, uh, you know, uh, there, yeah, there's, there would be a lot, lot more of me aren't brave there. enough to do it uh, anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because they've gotten killed. And the last couple of years have been tough. Um, th- th- just from a sentiment point of view, as you look across, does it seem like people are prepared for these probabilities at all? Like, what would you say the sentiment is around that? Increasingly less so, right? Um, I think uh, every institution I talk to, our investors, other people out there are being forced into the market. The reality is these final moves up um, are, are about fear. Uh, everybody associates fear with the downside. But the reality is at the end of a market rally, a blow-off top happens reflexively because people are afraid. They're afraid of losing their jobs. They're uh, afraid of their bit, their funds going out of business. They're afraid of being underinvested. Um, and it leads to a dramatic forced set of buying, much like forced selling happens at the end on the downside. And Fear to the upside is not healthy. It is. It leads to uh, reflexively bigger, faster moves. This is why longer dated calls are great ad relative to stock, ironically. Um, and, and it's something that uh, that ultimately uh, has three effects, right? Not only does it force uh, reflexively less uh, short positioning, so there's less ability to buy back into a, a rally or there's more selling that has to happen, but it also creates just more potential energy. We're raising something higher and higher off the floor, which can then drop significantly more. And then lastly, it actually forces vol higher and unpins vol eventually. And now that unpinning of vol is a part that has not happened yet because there are structural parts that I've been talking about. And that's the part we're watching closely that we're keeping our thumb on. If uh, we get market up ball up for some extended period of time, if the market starts to really kind of squeeze and sentiment continues to get more and more bullish, those particularly in these windows we talk about are the times you want to take that fat pitch and try and hit it out of the park. Yeah. Great stuff, Jim. It, it, we we have so many comments in saying that people really uh, appreciate your generosity with your knowledge because this is not a part of the market that a lot of us get a window into. So we appreciate you coming on and talking about it in a way that we can actually understand. Life is short. Uh, it's always fun to kind of share uh, when when we can. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to have these conversations. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, and we'll and we will we we also have um, a lots of clamoring to have you back on the platform in with maybe on uh, one of our higher levels um, so that we can really dig into this. So we were, we are working on that actually. Always happy to have those conversations. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for the really great smart questions and feedback um, and and chat that's happening on both, on both platforms. It's been fantastic. Um, Have a great weekend, everyone. We are back tomorrow with our Friday summer briefing at 1 PM Eastern. So be sure to join us then in the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.